So welcome back. This is another episode of Conversing Labs. This is Reversing Labs podcast that brings you face-to-face with the top minds in threat hunting, reverse engineering, threat intelligence, software assurance. And uh, I'm your host, Paul Roberts. Really happy to be back with you again and happy to have back with me in the studio, Reversing Labs' own Carlo Zenke. Carlo, welcome back. Hi, Paul. Glad to be back. Carlo is a reverse engineer and researcher here at Reversing Labs. Um, Carlo, could you just tell the audience a little bit about what you do here? Well, as you said, I'm a reverse engineer here at Reversing Labs. Uh, my daily task uh, come down to uh, analyzing uh, various software solutions from and file formats, which we get from our customers and from public repositories and looking for interesting stuff in those file packages and similar uh, file formats. That sounds like a fun job. Yeah, it has uh, good days <laughs> and it has bad days like any other job, but yeah. it, it is mostly interesting. It's not boring, never yeah. boring. No, especially not these days. So, Carlo, we had you in Conversing Labs, I think, back in May to talk about dependency confusion attacks on NPM. Um, you, you had found a whole bunch of those. It ended up being kind of friendly fire or a red team exercise by a German consultancy um, on, on other German uh, firms. But today we're here to talk about another NPM-related supply chain, software supply chain attack. Um, this one seems to be for real, and we wrote about it a little earlier in the month and dubbed it Icon Burst. Um, could you tell us about Icon Burst, like what it is and, and how you managed to come across this in the wild software, malicious software supply chain uh, attack? Well, first, what makes this different from the previous attacks we uh, talked about is that it's not, targe- it's not targeting developers, which use the packages, but it's targeting the end users of uh, the applications which the developers create. So it's a bit different. And uh, what's specific about it, it's uh, generally gathering form data from web pages. So it searches for DOM elements with uh, various types of form tags, classes, or ID, however you wish to find, depending on the package version. And then it collects that data and sends it to uh, attacker-controlled C2 server. So how we found it? Well, as you mentioned uh, last time I was here, we talked about uh, friendly fire, uh, red teaming tools, uh, targeting uh, German companies. Uh, and these tools used specific type of obfuscation, uh, a tool named JavaScript Obfuscator. Uh, a public available tool which can be used for free. Uh, so we created the indicators of, we created behavior indicators looking for uh, that inside tool. our tool, yeah. which can be used to detect that type of behavior. So when you encounter a JavaScript file or any other type of file, which uses such obfuscation based on our detection rules, we will 
uh, mark that behavior and link it to that package. So you can search the analyst packages and pinpoint which ones have the type of behavior. So what we do, we continuously monitor new packages that get published to public repositories, analyze them with our tools, and look for various behaviors, including this one. So I specifically looked continuously for that behavior, and in one moment, several packages occurred which had this type of behavior, and looking closer at them, showed that they weren't as innocent as they behaved. As they tried to look, mm. uh, another, another thing that caught my eye is that uh, all had a similar name. Most of them were named uh, icon this, icon that, uh, an icon. So I did a bit of googling and found that this was a legitimate uh, tool published by Ionic.io, I believe, mm -hmm. and it is a popular. I can set for front-end developers in web web system. So I looked into more details and detected, as already mentioned, form stealing tools. So you started looking for this uh, this use of this obfuscator, found a bunch of packages, and then you looked at those packages and realized there was a lot of similarities in, in just the naming of these packages did a little bit more research and figured out these names are all pretty film similar to a very popular icon package used in front end development. Um, so those, I guess, for you as a researcher are all sort of red flags, right? The sort of what's going on. Yeah. Here. You're, you're moving towards a conclusion as to what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing you notice is the obfuscation, usage of obfuscation. Then, okay. Obfuscation on its own isn't necessarily malicious. But I would say 50-50% of packages is using it for legitimate purposes in NPM, and another half is using it for malicious purposes to hide its malicious behavior. So when you find that packages, daily you get 5 to 10 packages or with this type of obfuscation. You should definitely spend some time of analysis because you have good chances that you'll find something malicious. Right. Okay, after that, you look at package names. That's the first. Uh, one popular method is uh, title spotting, yeah. which was used in this case. Yeah. So the attacker changes one or two letters mm -hmm. and hopes that some of the mistypings. Another thing that you can search is version numbers. You can see if unexpected version numbers appear and you detect that type of behavior and say, okay, this is red flag, this could be malicious. So that is how we mainly find interesting things. In this case, we did that. And, and just to sort of frame this for the for the viewers, um, how how widespread um, was this attack? Um, how widely used? Or obviously, there are a lot of open source modules out there. Most of them are not widely distributed um, or don't have a lot of dependencies. Um, what about in this case with these iconverse modules? Yeah, in this case, uh, well, typically when you look at NPM packages, you want to see how often it's downloaded. And if the package is downloaded, let's say one of its versions is downloaded 50, 60 times, that is usually just mirroring sites collecting that packages to their hosting places. So 
if you have a package with download count about 50, it's not a very popular package. But in this case, one of the packages had more than 7,000 downloads. So uh, that's quite that's a number. A <laughs> because that's uh, two zeros more than the usual default uh, download rate. So it you can't tell by the number by the download number count if it was uh, from seventeen different uh, users or anything. But you can expect that if you have seventeen thousand downloads, that good good part of it will be uh, innocent downloads, uh, not knowing that this is actually malicious. If you have 100 downloads, okay, you can expect these are testing People like you, basically. Yeah. 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 Security research thing. But 70,000, you have a broader community which is using this package in any way. And and, um, you talk about 17,000 downloads, like is that, in your mind, um, again, developers looking for this Ionic icon package um, and just searching quickly, you know, the, the malicious package is coming up in, in their search results and they're just grabbing it, you know, just kind of mistaken identity. Well, there are many ways you can get uh, to a specific package on NPM. One is searching on NPM, but usually what people do, they listen to some public uh, teaching sessions and they see that someone mentions that framework and they go using it on their Mm -hmm. own and mistakenly uh, Google it or anything and land up on a malicious package. What's, uh, in this case, the attacker consciously, knowingly uh, copied the entire description of the legitimate icon package and put it into his description. He also uh, copied the name, as we already said, modified it just a little bit. Uh, the domains, C2 domains used inside the uh, malicious code were also mimicking the legitimate uh, domain used by Ionic.io. So the developer even put uh, face, made the, the home page on the fake domain looking the same as the official right. web page of Ionic.io. Right. So the developer put a lot of effort to mimic and impersonate the real yeah, thing. We, we did a blog post on this back when you first disclosed it earlier in the month and, and included the screenshots of the pages for the ionicio.com page, which was the malicious page, and the ionic.io page, which was the page for the legitimate company that, that makes the icon package. Yes. And they look identical, um, you know, slightly different wording, yeah. but, uh, you know, unless unless you were really paying attention, it would be very difficult to realize that you were at the wrong place. Um, so, yeah, yeah this, this is... is this some navigation. Yeah. Um, interesting. And um, what... You know, for so for development organizations out there that are you know tuning into this, um, you know what what should their orientation be or their position be on this issue of you know we've got open source modules here that we're using that we're relying on and you know whether or not they have obfuscated code should it be just a hard line like you know don't don't mess around with 
anything using obfuscated code or, you know, bears, it's something that should make you look a little deeper and figure out what's going on, but, but not, not forbid it all altogether. Well, me as a reverse engineer, uh, looking at a large number of threads, my opinion is that you should never use anything that's open source package without looking what's inside right. of it, because uh, putting malicious behavior is, uh, has become very common. Uh, it's not just malicious actors. Legitimate, authentic, legitimate developers get frustrated in some point of that life, their life and decide to do some bad stuff. Uh, that yeah. can happen. And you don't wish to try your luck with using something freely available without looking at how that works. I know that sometimes you need to have specific knowledge to see what some code does, but let's say I give you a present, I don't know, some pill, and tell you, you go drink it, it's okay. Would you really want to do that? Probably I, I would Probably totally do that. You would want yeah. to see yeah. <laughs> well, if you uh, gave me the pill, I Carlo, you, it's okay. I would do it. Yeah. If it's okay, it's okay. I wouldn't buy. Why would I do you? So <laughs> you should always, if you see obfuscation, if you see obfuscation, that is a sign that you need to look at it better. Yep. Because you don't want to, somebody tried to make something hard to see. So there is, I believe, 50% chance that they, did it on purpose, especially if they put it into an open source repository and before putting it there, made it obfuscated. Why would you right. do that? Why would you put something publicly available? And there are legitimate cases, but most of developers which put push code up to public repositories wish to share it. They don't wish to hide their functionality. So if you come across obfuscated package, anything in it obfuscated, check it, see. Generally, when you try to find a module that you can use for your purpose, don't go rushing, okay, I see this, it says it does this and that, okay, I'll download it, I try. No, don't do that. Check first and then try to use it because mo there are a lot of modules that have post-install scripts and they perform some action immediately after you, after you install them. So you don't need to actually use them in your project. They can already create some damage to you. So before you use it, double check it because security should, should become uh, everyday hygiene in your development. Process. So you, um, you dug in, you found this code, you dug into deobfuscated the code and took a look at it. And just tell us a little bit about what you discovered, um, what, what was going on here that struck you as uh, suspicious or malicious? Uh, what was this code designed to do? Yeah, so I downloaded then one of the packages which I analyzed, okay. I downloaded, uh, used the uh, publicly available, the obfuscator for this obfuscator. And what came out, something looking like a legitimate jQuery, minified jQuery. Okay, why would someone uh, obfuscate legitimate right. jQuery? That doesn't make sense. Anyone can download jQuery. You don't need to hide its functionality. It's not, okay. it's not proprietary code. Right? It's not something that is intellectual property yeah. that you'd want to obscure, people right? Use. Right. Yeah. Right. People use People use jQuery. Okay. You go scrolling, there's about two, 3,000 lines of beautified jQuery. 
and you go down, you go down, and you see everything looks like a legitimate jQuery. And if you go down deep enough, you come across hex encoded strings. Okay, what are these hex encoded strings? Something is suspicious. You go uh, uh, decode the, the them, and then you come across malicious behavior. So what's up in this case? Someone took in one of the packages. In some other packages, the mechanics were different, but uh, in most of the packages, they took legitimate jQuery code, hooked some of its functionality. In some cases, it was M function. In some cases, uh, I don't know, several functions were, depending on the package, uh, hooked, and they added their behavior behind the legitimate behavior, jQuery behavior. So they didn't mimic the original. And I can say that they just put something else in it, in this case, jQuery, and uh, modified it with the functionality which collects form data and posts it to the controllers. And the rest of these packages, these packages were functional. They weren't going to break your application. They did what the packages, the legitimate packages they were modeled on were supposed to do, but they just also can turn this. Well, in most cases, in most cases, uh, they created elements, uh, script elements, because uh, the preferred usage of Ion Icons package is linking some script tags from uh, content delivery network systems and use it in, in your web page. In this case, they add script elements, regular, and their own calling for their script from the same UNPKG or something whatever it was. Uh, there are other packages starting other frameworks, not Ion Icons, uh, but also other popular JavaScript frameworks like Umbra.js, uh, Swiper, Cider, or right. several other packages which were targeted. And the attacker tried to mimic them also. And uh, for example, SIDR. Uh, npm package hasn't been maintained for six years, but it has 500 uh, daily or weekly downloads still. It's a very popular package, so it's a good target for impersonating because probably someone no won't notice it because it is, doesn't get updated. It's the same version for six years. And for developers, they, the legitimate version would look like it's six years old, which would usually be disqualifying. And the malicious version would probably have a more recent uh, version number and, and date stamp on it, which would make it look fresher, right? Yeah. That right. Be. They could uh, perform right. well. They could try. Uh, but in most cases, in this type of attack, uh, it was just pure type coding. Yeah. They named right. it a bit different. Yes, they didn't go for very And and this malicious code that you discovered, what was its purpose? What was it doing within um, you know the environments in which it was running? Yeah, as I already mentioned, uh, it wasn't targeting the developer of the application, but the end right. user. So when jQuery got loaded and everything, uh, web page got uh, generated and uh, functional in the browser. User when user visited this web page and entered trying to submit form data, username, anything on that form, it collected form data and uploaded it to the attacker controlled domain. So it attacked 
all kinds of web pages wherever the module was used, collect, in some cases, generally searching for or all form uh, tags in the HTML mm -hmm. page and submitting their content, serializing it and submitting it to the attacker controlled server. So generally, in some types, modified searching for specific form data, but sometimes generally every form data present on the web page. Being and this would have been indiscriminate, really any page that uh, this module was uh, deployed on um, would have been a target wasn't any evidence that it was targeted at specific organizations or sites? Well, uh, we have found, uh, looking by the attacker names and account names, uh, some clues that clues that led us to the conclusion that uh, one portion of this was script was used uh, in phishing attacks in the beginnings, uh, back in December 2021. Uh, Arpan Risky, the user, uh, published a script uh, which was uh, shared in some web tutorials uh, explaining how to steal uh, credentials and for uh, PUBG online multiplayer game, quite popular in some uh, Eastern Oriental countries. So uh, that's one case when we found evidence of usage and linked it to that campaign. In my opinion, they were starting with uh, collecting PUBG login credentials, Facebook login credentials, which were also used to log in on that pages and later switching to NPM environment, a JavaScript environment and broadening the reach, trying to catch all kinds of login data, moving on from just PUBG. Okay. What can organizations do to defend themselves from these types of compromises? Like you said, it's it's not targeting the developers directly, and that is not looking to get data or information out of the developers. It's really targeting the downstream users of the of the code, um, people who are filling out these forms on web websites. Um, but of course, it's doing that by way of fooling the developers into using the module. So as a development organization, maybe with a mixture of open source and, and proprietary modules that you're using, what's what's the defense against an attack like this? If you don't have somebody like Carlo Zanke on your team, uh, what do you do? Well, there are various tools which can help you uh, detect all kinds of threats. Uh, in this case, the threat is usage of bad dependency. What you can do, you can put some level of control on the modules your development team is using. It's like uh, configuring your local mirror of NPM repository, uh, gaining some insights and uh, ensuring that you are capable to know what dependencies are being used and then performing security analysis for those dependencies. They are Lots of tools. Uh, some of them are better. Some of them have limited capabilities. But there are ways to perform analysis of public repository contents, especially the one packages that you use. You don't need to scan the entire npm to find malicious packages. You just need to focus on the dependencies which are used in your application. Perform security checks. See for malicious behavior. See for 
uh, known malicious uh, detections of those dependencies and perform regular checks on the uh, open source modules you use. It doesn't depend if it's uh, from NPM, there are other package repositories, their content is uh, equally uh, compromisable as NPM. So uh, you need to check open source code you use. Don't go around, uh, okay, this uh, can be used for my needs, I'll right. use it. As we said, check what you use. And always you should check the final, also you should check the final product because there are some other places when you, when, where your application inside your organization can get compromised. So you also need to check what you are delivering Further along in the, the final in the development pipeline. But in this case, this type of check, the most important is to sanitize the open source module too. Um, before we go to questions, I should let people know that we are going to take questions. And if you want to use the Riverside chat feature, you can pose a question for Carlo. Um, it's not common to have somebody of his uh, level of expertise at your disposal. So if you got questions on supply chain risk uh, and attacks, um, use the chat feature and we will pass those along to Carlo. Um, Carlo, uh, since you initially discovered this, you have uh, discovered additional packages. So I mean, two questions. First is what happened to the first uh, group of malicious NPM packages that you discovered? Uh, or have those been taken offline? And also tell us about what you've discovered subsequently. This iConverse attack appears to be ongoing. Well, the original uh, set of packages which we discovered were all reported to NPM security team. They removed it in less than a week uh, or even just a few days. But uh, continuously new packages appear. The attacker creates new accounts publishes new packages, primarily still focusing on icons package, but sometimes some other JavaScript packages or functionalities get spotted. Uh, what's important is uh, there is no easy way to prevent someone from publishing uh, to NPM because it's not hard to modify the content of uh, JavaScript file, especially if you perform obfuscation on it. So there is no signature-based right. detection right. in this case. All files are obfuscated. Someone changes, it gets obfuscated, and the obfuscation can be a legitimate uh, type of behavior, as we mentioned. So it's hard to detect it by automated analysis at the publishing time, so you need to check it when you use it. This type of attack can be expected to be present for some more time. Uh, occasionally, probably new versions of malware will be published as we seen it last week. A few new models appeared. So the end users should uh, be aware of that threat. And as I mentioned, the easiest way to detect this detection of JavaScript, of usage of JavaScript obfuscate. That should be the first red flag. Final question. Um, what do we know about that? You said there, these these attacks are still popping up. What do we know about the individuals or group behind Icon Burst and what the objective here is? We don't know much. Uh, most of the 
Moses evidence suggests that it's the work of one person, but it is possible that other malicious actors have bought these scripts from the original author. These are being distributed on various channels, and it is possible that uh, several uh, publishers are publishing to NPM. Uh, we believe that the initial author is uh, linked to Indonesia. There are some evidence that suggests that the original campaign targeting PUBG users uh, was uh, sourced from uh, Indonesian territory by Indonesian-speaking person. But in the meantime, we have no evidence of the final number of possible publishers to NPM and their uh, how I say their motivations, what they are looking for. But uh, what is so sure is that they are targeting collection of yeah. user credentials. And for organizations, just that this is a this is a, a type of attack and a methodology that um, adversaries are increasingly aware of and using to their advantage, right? Um, so this is this is something that you need to be attuned to. Um, so I guess uh, let me just say uh, I, I think we're we're ready for a question and answer now, Carlo. If you're if you're up for it, yeah. <laughs> You sure? Yeah. I'm going to invite Carolyn uh, into the studio. Carolyn's our producer. Hey, Carolyn. Welcome back. Hi, Paul. Hi, Carlo. Thanks for um, having me. Um, I My name is Carolyn Van Arsdale. I'm a producer uh, for Conversing Labs. And I do have some questions for Carla today. So, Carla, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. And while Carolyn's asking questions, if you are listening and you have additional questions, use the chat feature and we'll add them to the list. Go ahead, Carolyn. First question for you, Carlo, is how is Iconburst different from other software supply chain attacks, such as SolarWinds or CodeCov? Well, uh in this case, uh, in the case of SolarWinds, uh, the attackers compromise the infrastructure of the, the publisher of software, and they uh, infiltrate it through that vector. In this case, they aren't targeting the infrastructure of infrastructure of software developer uh, through any offensive method. Instead, they are putting. Uh, they are trying to make them use modules published by the attacker. So they aren't uh, infiltrating their network or anything like that. They are just trying to lure them to use their packages for their functionality and in that way uh, get to the final customers of those software producers. Okay, great. And next question for you, Carlo. What is the easiest way to search for obfuscated code in an NPM module? Well, uh, so uh, I do it by usage of our tools. Uh, we at Traversing Labs have a secure software platform, which is continuously improved with additional functionality, helping you find threats. And in this case, uh, we created the indicator of behavior to which can help you spot usage of JavaScript obfuscator. Basically, uh, you should focus on behavior of the software. Behavior of the software can give you a lot of information 
about what you are going to use. So uh, is it using files? Is it testing file system? Is it using network network uh, ports? Uh, is it using uh, some known encryption algorithms? These are all known behaviors, and there are tools which can help you detect such behaviors. Uh, you should look for tools which provide you with this functionality, uh, or you should try. I don't know. You can try to write your YAR rules or something like that. There are. Uh, other ways to detect it, but I believe that the easiest way is to use tools which are good at it and which can help you detect it. They are not to reinvent mm -hmm. the wheel, but use someone's good functionality. Thank you. And next question for you. Should we refuse any NPM module that contains obfuscated code or do legitimate modules sometimes contain obfuscated code also? Yeah, as I already mentioned, uh, you shouldn't uh, refuse it. Uh, you shouldn't ban it uh, if you see obfuscation in some module. Uh, you should deobfuscate it and see what's in it. Uh, there are legitimate modules which, for some reason, use obfuscation in NPM. But if you are using some other uh, source for your modules, there are various third-party modules which have uh, legitimate reasons why they obfuscate their code. So uh, banning something because it's using obfuscation isn't uh, going to it's get It's a blunt instrument. Yeah. You can just go and uh, rub everything. You need to see, find out what's good, what's bad, and separate. Okay, got it. Makes sense. Next question, and this is going to be the last question as well. Are there ways to programmatically prevent typo squatting attacks like this, or is it just a matter of developer education? Well, there are algorithms which can help you detect typo squatting. There are, if you Google it a bit, you'll find uh, lots of uh, algorithms which uh, are good at this, but it's also, they are also not perfect. If they were perfect, uh, public repositories would detect uh, type of squatting immediately. So you can try and use some of your resources if you have spare resources to, uh, to create detection for these types. But as much as I, I'm familiar with, currently this isn't working, working 100% good. Uh, I believe that you can't uh, say it's bulletproof and that if you program something uh, to help you detect this, it will probably have some blind spots where it where it could leak. And uh, if you rely on, rely on it too much, you could get yourself into problem. problem. And we talked about this with the dependency confusion attacks. If you've got internally developed modules that are non-public, we were saying it probably is worth your while to pay attention to newly created modules that might be mimicking those, right? If you, as, as much as you can, right? Yes. In some cases, it won't be right. type of sporting. There are different types of right. attacks. So it's not always type of sporting. And I'm not sure if you wish to use your resources for each type of attack and right. new attacks that will appear. So, Carlo Zanke, thank you so much for coming back in and speaking to us on Conversing Labs. This has been a great conversation and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on again. 
Thanks for, for calling me. Have, happy to see you again. And for folks who are uh, watching, we are recording this and uh, we'll be posting it on our website uh, after the fact. So if you want to share it around in your network or come back and watch it again, um, it'll be on the uh, Reversing Labs website. And so stay tuned for that. And thank you all very much. We'll be back soon, sooner than you might think, uh, with some new episodes. Um, and uh, we're going to be at the Black Hat.